Welcome to Discovery with Babbitt Ranches. Discovery is all things cowboy essence, people at their best, accomplishing extraordinary achievements. Hi, I'm Billy Cordasco, coming to you from the Hash Knife Studio in historic downtown Flagstaff. My guest today is Ian Torrance, a longtime friend of Babbitt Ranches. Ian has been the National Restoration Specialist for the American Conservation Experience, or ACE. And through that organization, he has played a key role in restoring stretches of the Little Colorado River on Babbitts while working with college students and teaching them life skills. He's also a longtime champion for outdoor recreation. Ian has mentored, coached, and supported the local running community while creating and managing events that have attracted elite runners from around the globe to Babbitt Ranches and Northern Arizona. Ian is a world-class ultramarathon runner himself. He has set course records around the world. His biggest athletic achievement was in the summer of 2002 when he ran the Grand Slam of ultramarathoning. That's four 100-mile trail races, the Western States 100-mile, Vermont 100-mile, Leadville 100-mile, and Wasatch Front 100-mile. In that Grand Slam event, he set the record for the fastest cumulative time at that time. He's also run the JFK 50-mile race in Maryland 25 times. And he's run 219 ultramarathons, which are 50Ks, 50-mile races, 100Ks, and 100-mile races. In addition, he and his wife Emily started Sundog Running, which trains others for ultramarathons, ultra-endurance sports, and trail running. I think the biggest thing running provides me now and then, it's never gone away, is structure. Also running, it teaches you how to hurt. And I think that is really an important aspect to learn in life is like what it feels like to feel like crap and to push through that. We'll hear more from Ian in a moment. First, I want to acknowledge the Forest Service and all the firefighters who have been out there battling the wildfires across Arizona this summer. They've been protecting our wildlands and also saved Babbitt Ranch's historic Cedar Ranch that's been operating since the late 1800s. So a big thank you to all of our brave and hardworking wildland firefighters. Thank you so very much. Shoot, Ian, welcome to the Hash Knife Studio for a good little visit this morning. Thanks, Billy. Yeah. Good to be here. It's wondered when I was going to get on here, so right. yeah, feel well, honored to do that. Right. Well, it, it is special, and anyway, you're a big part of Babbitt's, man. Sure do appreciate you. You've played a, a huge role with ACE, and you might tell us what ACE stands for and who they are, but... Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, American Conservation Experience, not the hardware store. Right. A lot of people get yeah. at that. So uh, they're based here in Flagstaff. They're large national nonprofit. They do conservation work, funded partially by AmeriCorps. So uh, the members get AmeriCorps allowances and benefits for federal hiring. We have offices here in Flagstaff, Asheville, North Carolina, Corpus Christi, Texas, Hurricane, Utah, Salt Lake City, also in Sacramento and Ridgecrest, California. Yeah, wow, it's really widespread, but it's got a great mission. Yeah, yeah, we, we use college-age adults for the most part, and depending on their length of term, either three, six, or nine months, we put them out in the field doing conservation work. And that can be trail work, it can be forestry work, like thinning 
with chainsaws or restoration work like revegetation and invasive plant control? Well, you know, Ian, with all the projects that you've done with ACE, and certainly we'll get to some of the projects you've done on Babbitts, but one of the things that I've always appreciated greatly is you uh, managing these college kids, <laughs> and you're teaching them a lot more than just working with chainsaws and thinning trees, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, it's life skills. Normally, they work what we call a hitch, which is basically two weeks of work crunched into one, so they, like, eight days on, 10-hour days, and and it's not easy work it's tough work and it's out in the back country normally so they're camping they gotta fend for themselves they have to work together so they cook together they have group meals and drive together and they they spend a lot of time together so i think you have to learn a lot of people skills to be able to do that and problem solve and things like that my position is more of administrative type position I do go out in the field occasionally to, to check up on projects. I organize some projects. I have led a couple projects, but I'm not a crew leader. So they, they're all led by what we call a crew leader. And the crew leader, I think, has the toughest job at ACE out of everybody because they have to manage six to eight or ten college-age youth in these backcountry settings yeah. for eight days in a row. And then they got to do it again. And then they got to do it again. Right. And it's That's not the same crew all the time. The crew changes, the yeah. makeup changes, the job yeah. changes, and yeah. it's rolling with those punches. You know, I did that earlier in my life with the National Park Service and with ACE. That's a tough role, and yeah. there's a burnout factor there. You have been doing the planning and the development of projects yes. and being very successful with that. And a lot of those projects, or at least many of the projects you've worked on, are on the Little Colorado River along Babbitts. Yes. And anyway, so tell us a little bit about all that and how all that got started. Yeah, so, well, I can thank you for that. I can't remember the timeline, Billy, but maybe 2000, late 2017, you took me down to the LCR, the Little Colorado River, to look at what NAU, Northern Arizona University, is doing with their Sega site, Southwestern Garden Array, right. yeah. their cottonwood plantings, their restoration project down there. And I just, I saw a lot of potential. Not only what NAU is doing, assisted reveg, but we also had this potential already existing source of important vegetation. We had those cottonwood groves protecting them from all the salt cedar or tamarisk that was encroaching in the area. It's a tough life down on the LCR. Dry, huh. hot. The LCR is not flowing all the time, so it's an intermittent system in that stretch, and so water is scarce, or there's too much water, so it's feast or famine in, in regards to water down there. So it's just hard, hard to grow if you're a tree, if you're a seedling or a sapling, but protecting those trees that already exist, very important. And yeah, I saw that potential and so did you. And we applied for some grants and got some money to create uh, wildfire buffers and reveg areas around those trees. Well, that resource, those cottonwoods down there, those are Fremont cottonwoods. Mm -hmm. And then there's some other vegetation that's pretty special down that area as well, huh? Yeah, desert olive, which I wasn't familiar with until this project. Lots of desert olive, which a lot of people didn't know existed because it hides well in tamarisk. Not that it's trying to hide, but the tamarisk does a good job of camouflaging it and covering it up. So going in and releasing those trees, really great. And also just a lot of willow. There's just a lot of native grasses and forbs and the wildflowers down there along the LCR are pretty awesome during springtime. Yeah, and you also noticed some 
wildlife and some unexpected uh, species down there as well, huh? Yeah, you know, you spend more and more time down there and suddenly you see, you know, red-tailed hawk, you see porcupine, you see coyote, and I haven't actually seen an elk, but lots of elk scat. Right. So we know they're using those sites too. So that's awesome. And what was it, a beehive? Yeah, the, the combs in the trees, in the big cottonwoods, and also in some of the rock structures in the area too. So. Yeah, that's really something. So Ian, with all that, what have you accomplished? What has ACE accomplished down in that area now? We identified two areas where cottonwood groves existed. Large trees, one, well, I won't get in specifics, but they're about a mile and a half apart from one another. One is just adjacent to the NAU Sega site, and one is about a mile and a half downstream from there. These are two areas where there are large cottonwoods that are existing, surrounded by tamarisk. So we went in with our crews, with our ACE crews, and cut down the tamarisk, treated the tamarisk with herbicide, and hauled away the brush, either piling it to be burned at a later time, making uh, piles for wildlife habitat, or just kind of dispersing it around the area, depending on the situation. So two pretty big areas, each about five acres in size, and just creating this open area underneath the cottonwoods, this open space that would protect them in, in case of wildfire. And we've seen wildfire down in that location, so we know that it's a hazard. Opening space for reveg, and after removing that salt cedar a year later, we've already seen iodine bush coming back and sand sage and numerous wildflowers coming back right next to old tamarisk stumps. So just great to see that. And I also think the red-tailed hawks, the birds of prey, will utilize those trees now that there's open space. They can see. There's a nest in yep. one of them. You yep. and I uh, yep. came across, and yep. they were nesting there. Now that there's open space, they can forage for small animals and rodents. Well, Ian, so you may not have been running the cruise down there, but you, you spent a lot of time down in there and you were the architect of this project. And anyway, so, you know, and you've been involved with a lot of restoration over the years. I, I think that that's important to mention that this was, was not your first uh, rodeo, as we might say. And so, but with that being said, you know, what would you, you know, want to make sure that folks, as we continue with those projects on the Little Colorado River, you know, what would you want them to be at least aware of or be considering maybe that uh, that you've learned or, uh, you know, that it's been successful to continue doing? I think the biggest thing is not to give up. I think in places like the LCR where it's really tough to survive, we have to give it a chance. And I think we can do these small projects and see great change in that. And I think other organizations, like, you know, down in the LCR, the Navajo Nation's right across the river. The Park Service is just downstream. We can work together to perpetuate these kind of habitat improvement projects, especially now beneficial habitat, the kind of habitat you want for for bird life, for wildlife, for game is under threat. I mean, we, we were just talking about all the wildfires in the area. And when wildfire comes through, that destroys everything and then you're left with nothing starting over yeah starting over so it takes a lot to start over but when you have something established just perpetuating it by protecting it that's right. important and i think a little little five acre projects here and there go a long way to maintaining that yeah and those are also kind of linear projects those five acres so they're they got a distance to them it's not like a square block yeah. Yeah. yeah, it kind of runs along the river there. So, and then of course, in this case, working with ACE to be able to really 
offer, you know, not just restoration projects, but also life experience for these college kids and all that really helps broaden that mission and make it more meaningful, really. I mean, and then hopefully these kids, you know, as they grow up and move on, they'll have learned a lot from their mentors like you in any way and, and be very successful at continuing with these projects. And, you know, and that, that does remind me here at Babbitts, we have, as you know, what we call cowboy essence, you know, and mm-hmm. in any way, and a lot about principles and values and character quality, you know, you know, being the most that, that we're intended to be really striving for that. And you do that in spades. I just, you know, I'm always inspired by when you operate around and, and do what you do because you really do have a set of principles and values and character qualities that really touches a lot of different people. And I know you're heading off to the National Park Service and going to start a, another chapter in what you do and can offer. But with that, you also have some other side projects, so to speak. And I want us to make sure we yeah. visit about this. And so Sundog is your company that you're one of the coaches of, founder, and then a coach along with your wife, Emily, and some others. That's kind of a culmination of a lot of years since you were younger where running has been a part of your life. Mm-hmm. Tell us just a little bit about that. I know you're, you're familiar with this, with this subject, <laughs> <laughs> this topic. Yeah. Uh, I could start from the beginning, I guess. So, yes, I've been running a long time. started running in junior high only as a function of I tried out several times for to make volleyball team to make soccer team make football team and and that didn't work out running was really the only team I could participate in so that's where I ended up and I kept with running because I saw well it made me feel good but I also saw great improvement over the years and that's really it is like it made me feel good and it was something I I could work towards goals and it was a productive use of my time anyway so Yeah, and I ran all the way through high school and college, ran track, indoor track, and cross country, uh, both in high school and college. And I extrapolated all that after graduating college and got into ultra marathons and started running ultras when I was 22 and ran my first ultra in 1994 and never looked back. Again, it was the same. Was that the JFK or which? Okay. JFK 50 mile already back in Maryland. Okay. November, 1994 and just stuck with the sport, got into it, enjoyed it. I liked where the races took me again. Also, I started doing well at the races, which also perpetuates you to continue to do them. It became part of my life and I even worked for Montreal for a year doing sponsorships and promotions for them in Seattle, Washington. And I got really into the groove. I started coaching in 2010. Up to that point, I was always giving people advice. Put it into practice in 2010 when I came to work for Greg McMillan and McMillan Running. I worked for Greg for mm-hmm. eight years, developed his ultra running program, his branch of McMillan Running that coached ultras and trail running. And then Emily and I started Sundog in 2017. We've built that significantly, keeps us very busy. We have two other coaches. Well, there's my wife, Emily, and two other coaches, Eric Sensman and Ron Hammett. Eric's here in Flagstaff and Ron lives in Vegas. And we are Sundog running. We also have a running camp that we put on and low key, you know, the events that we do as well. Well, you are working with people who are nationally recognized for their running. I yeah. have, and but we work with everybody. Yeah. We work all levels, all distances. Mm-hmm. You know, I coach 5K runners. I coach high school kids and 70-year-olds. I'm, I'm well aware, and I'll make sure that I kind of list that out a little bit here on some of these accomplishments that you have because you have quite a few. You're very rare. Typically, you know, somebody might want to go further in depth on running side here, 
But I want to bring it back to this cowboy essence just a little bit. For Babbitts, I think that one of my favorite sayings is, you know, it's not about things and doing things, but about the meaning of things. And, you know, I see that in a lot of what you do is uh, that you don't do things just to do them. You clearly have meaning and multiple layers of meaning behind things you do. How can you tie that a little bit for us? When it comes to running, you, you started out running, you know, in junior high, you know, and you mentioned it made you feel good and it helped you be motivated about other things and all that. Tell us maybe how does that, how does the running actually then apply to the rest of your life? I think the biggest thing running provides me now and then, it's never gone away, is structure. If you're going to run in a day, you, you have to make time for it because if you don't, you're, you're not going to run. Um, if you fill up your day with work and family and all these things that are important, which you have to do, it gets harder and harder to, to fit that in. So you have to get rid of the nonsense. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so when you get rid of the nonsense, things become much more clear and less confusing. So, so work, family, and running. Once you put those three things in, into pocket, you really don't have room to worry about a lot of other stuff. And I really like that. I don't like distractions. Not to say that I need distractions at times. I think everyone does. But it helps keep you more on your feet, on your toes, and productive and moving forward instead of floundering. Also running, well, it teaches you how to hurt. And I think that is really an important aspect to learn in life, what it feels like to feel like crap. And to push through that, I don't think enough people know how to deal with adversity well. And when things get a little rough, they give up or they get distracted. So again, I think if if you're a little bit tougher, you handle issues a little better. And and then I'm not talking just physical issues. I'm talking about all those tough things that happen in life that are awful. Right. I remember Neil... Wondrob and I had a visit one day at Big Brothers Big Sisters half marathon, and we were visiting about how great it would be to have a race that go through at least Babbitts and wherever else and brainstorming about the Arizona Trail and some things. And Neil said he'd get back to me, and when he did, he was like, well, let's, let's get a group together and see if we can't put something together. And uh, we did that here at the conference yep. room here at Babbitts. And anyhow, that's when I first met you. You were there and ready to go. What came from that? <laughs> Stagecoach, Flagstaff to Grand Canyon, stagecoach, line, 100 mile, 55K, relays, and now mountain bike race. And it's gone kind of cuckoo this year. We, we took the relays out this year because of COVID. We're just sticking with solo events, so the 100 mile foot race, the 100 mile mountain bike race, and the 55K foot race. Uh, 55K, for all intents and purposes, is already filled. More than 100 people signed up for that. We're just about reached our cap there. We'll hold a waiting list. If, if people want to get on a waiting list, they can do that. If other people drop out, they, we can fill that. Uh, the 100-mile mountain bike race is a small event. It's fairly new. It's in its second year. We're taking 50 people for that, and we're like at 38 bikers right now, which is great. And then the 100 mile has really jumped in participation. Historically, we've never had, I don't think we've had over 90 people start or 80 people start, but we've got 160 signed up. It would be great to get a couple more 100 milers in there. I want to point out the Grand Canyon Stagecoach Line 100 mile has become a nationally recognized event for the ultra marathon sport. 
largely because of Ian's efforts and his behind-the-scenes team. As we mentioned, Ian and Emily are wonderful supporters of the running community. They also are the new race directors for the Flagstaff Marathon at Arizona Nordic Village. This event will raise funds for the new cross-country team at Coconino Community College, which is the only sport at Coconino Community College right now. I'm exploring with them some changes in the course and a refresh of the logo. We'll see, you know, new race director, new year, and new organization. Thought we could change a couple things. It would be a good time to do that if they wanted to. You know, it's a group effort. Well, there you are again, going and working with those college kids yeah. <laughs> and getting right into the right into it, Ian. Yeah. That's super awesome. It just really is. I mean, I uh, I just know what a mentor you are for those kids. So Yeah, well, thanks, Billy. Yeah. So that is it's October 2nd. So Stagecoach is the 18th and 19th of September. And then the Flag Marathon is October 2nd. And October 3rd, I'm helping race direct for Team Run Flagstaff, Sunnyside Up 5K. So we're bringing that back. Race happened in 2015 once. I race directed that we, for various reasons, we didn't do it anymore. But now with Team Run Flagstaff and Run Flagstaff, the, the store in town, uh, we're bringing it back on the east side. Well, with all this, Ian, I mean, there is another little fact of life, and that is that you're going to work for the National Park Service yeah. over in Death Valley. So I took a permanent position at Death Valley National Park, which will require a move for me, Emily, and our pups. And we will be living in the park near Furnace Creek in employee housing, in federal government housing. It's in the middle of nowhere. If, if anyone's been to Death Valley, it's the hottest, driest place in North America. And then Death Valley is also the largest national park in North America outside of uh, Alaska in the U.S. So it's huge. It's uh, to put it in perspective for those of you who live in Flagstaff, it's three times the size of Coconino National Forest. And what will you be? Hoping? So I'll be their new invasive plant specialist. So that's what I'll be doing. So you have this significant change in ecosystems as you go from below sea level to over 11,000 feet. Yeah, we're leaving Flagstaff, but we're not really. We're coming back for these events. We're not selling our home here. Yeah, we'll be back frequently, and we love the running community here and, and, the, and those peeps very much. Well, look, Ian, this has really been terrific. Thank you for this visit today. You really are an extraordinary example and an awful good friend, wonderful friend, and best to you and Emily on your new adventure. I know we'll be seeing each other quite a bit with these other activities that you're a part of. And um, who knows down the road what, what else might come too. So thank you, Ian. Thanks, Billy. Thank you for joining Discovery with Babbitt Ranches. You've been listening to conservationist, elite runner, coach, and mentor, Ian Torrance. Discovery with Babbitt Ranches acknowledges the Forest Service and all the wildland fi firefighters who work so hard to protect the forest and keep our communities safe. Thanks again. Discovery with Babbitt Ranches is a monthly podcast exploring all things cowboy essence in land stewardship, conservation, science, agriculture, recreation, business, and community. From the Hash Knife Studio, I'm Billy Cordasco.